Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, is where we're going to begin over the last few weeks and in the coming weeks as well. You have heard and will hear in the future, I trust, a series of sermons on how we are to interact with one another within the Christian church, within the body of Christ. We need each other, and we, the Bible uses various metaphors, as we've said, the body, the, the family, um, and all of that speaks to the interconnectedness of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we exist as part of this family? How do we exist as part of this body of Christ, of, of which Christ is the head? Well, we are given instruction in God's Word, and um, in this series, as you know, we're looking at the one another passages to help us understand what that is. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of kicking off the series and talked about love one another, and really that's the overarching theme that kind of ties all of these texts together because it, we can only forgive and comfort and admonish and encourage and pray for and build one another up only as we love one another. And often these commands come to us from the New Testament epistles. Um, many of them are from the Pauline writings. And, and as you know, many, like in Ephesians, you, you kind of have this, this great display of the salvation that is ours in Christ. And then the second half of the book is dedicated to admonition of how we are to live now that we have been redeemed and brought into God's family. And they often come, as you'll see in the text that we're going to read this, morning, or this evening from uh, Romans 12, and also we'll be looking at Romans 15, um, there's, there's just a, a, a bunch of admonition that comes together. So I think it's helpful for us to slow down and consider these passages and look at them individually, consider the text and sometimes the various texts that deal with these topics. And and really, Scripture does have plenty to say about living in unity. And, and there's probably things I won't have time to say in this sermon um, about this, but it is, it is something that, that is important. It's something that we need. And I hope, by God's grace, I have four objectives. Now, this is not my outline, so you don't have to write this down, but hear me if you will. Here are my objectives. Number one, I trust that in, as we look at this topic, that we as followers of Jesus Christ will be convinced of the authority of this command to live in harmony one with another. Secondly, we must be thoroughly convinced of the importance of this command. Thirdly, we must be thoroughly convinced of our own inability in and of ourselves to obey this command. And then fourthly and thankfully, we must be utterly convinced that God cares and will bring his incomparable power on our behalf to give us help in our obedience of this command. So I said that was not my outline, and now I will give you my outline, and hopefully that will support the objectives that I've just given you, and that is this, four points. Harmony is born out of humility. Harmony is born out of humility. Secondly, harmony in the church brings glory to God. We'll see that in our texts. Thirdly, the strength and ability for harmony comes from God alone. And finally, I hope to give some practical advice for harmonious living. That sounds uh, hopefully somewhat uh, Puritanesque um, to, to, to bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. 
So we're going to read um, Romans. We'll be picking up in uh, uh, verse 14 of chapter 12. But before we do, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful God, we bow before you this evening, Lord. We submit ourselves to the authority of your word. It is our authority. It is all that we need for life and godliness. And, and it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that tonight that it would, that it would pierce our hearts. Lord, that you would do your work. Lord, that, that your word would go forth not because of my eloquence, Lord, but because of your spirit that bears your word along. We need that tonight. Lord, remove me from this equation and work mightily through your word, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we ask that, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Romans 12, and we'll read verses 14 through 21. Again, this is instruction given to the church. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please turn over to Romans 15, and we'll pick up with the first verse there. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And finally, if you will, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read the first three verses of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner... For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. You are writing a gospel a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say, and men read what you write, distorted or true. So what is the gospel according to you? This little poem, of which some of you may be familiar, is, not, of, is of course not speaking of a gospel as the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but it is the message of 
Christ, the message of, your, of the gospel and how it is worked out in your life. It's the story of our lives. Are we telling the gospel story rightly and truly by the way we live and by the harmony in our relationships? I'm going to start this evening with a bold statement. Everyone here is hard to get along with. At some times, in some context, I would venture to say that every one of us needs this admonition to live in harmony with one another. I, I thought about issuing a challenge to say, if anyone thinks they don't, I will take that and then I'll talk to your spouse, for those of you that are married. But I think, I, I had the privilege of, of giving this as a devotional yesterday to some guys, and, and I, I kind of started with that, and some of them feigned this offended look, but I think deep down they recognized that they were. Because I think all of us, at some time or another, in some context, in some relationships, need this admonition. We need to consider that this is a command from our Lord and we need to better understand what it means to live in harmony with one another. The word harmony means agreement or concord. That's kind of an old word. The quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole. I like that. The quality of forming a pleasing and consistent whole. So kind of keep that definition in the back of your mind as we consider what Scripture says about living in harmony with one another. So how are we to do this, practically speaking, and where, where, what is the source of this harmony? Well, first of all, we want to, we, our first point is this, that harmony is born out of humility. Verse 16, and that was kind of the first verse that we want to center upon tonight, says, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So immediately following the command to live in harmony is the prohibition of, uh, for haughtiness. And, and so, so we are called, on the other hand, to be humble, to not be haughty. I don't think this is just a random list. I think there's a connection between humility and harmony. To be haughty, again, here's a definition. It is to be proud and disdainful, having a high opinion of oneself, and some con with some contempt for others, lofty and arrogant. You know what that means, but I think it's helpful to, to consider what it means to be haughty. And this should never be the attitude of the Christian. Christians should be marked by humility. And that humility should stem from the fact that believers in Christ, that they are part of God's family, but it is only by God's grace and mercy alone that any of them are part of God's family. If you think that you are a child of God because of some inherent goodness in you, I have another thing for you. That is not the message of Scripture. You are deceived if you think that you are God's child because you are good, because you are not. We are not good. We are deserving of God's wrath. We have done everything to deserve his wrath. And the fact that any of us are here tonight is evidence of God's mercy upon sinners. So if you are God's child, you are the recipient of a great, undeserved mercy. And that should result in an all-encompassing humility that really permeates all of our lives and all of our relationships. We've been forgiven a great debt, the debt of our sin... 
We've been given a great gift, the gift of eternal life. We were dead and we have been made alive. We were lost and have been found. We were running from God and God in his mercy has sought us out and drawn us to himself. He has pursued us and all of those things should make us humble. This verse goes on. It says, associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now commentators are divided over what who the lowly what or who the lowly are. Some say those are lowly people, some things some say those are lowly things, but really I don't think it matters too much because the same idea permeates both relationships. The same attitude governs both areas. What it's saying is don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think that some people are beneath you, even those of a different socioeconomic class. James, in chapter 2, speaks sharply against those that would treat rich men different from poor men when they come into the church. You know, he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, if a rich man comes in in fine clothes and you set him here in a place of prominence, and then a man in shabby clothes comes in and you set him in the back corner, he said, this is not the way the church should operate. You should not have, have partiality, is, is what he's speaking against. But humility is part of that. He says, in effect, don't jump through hoops and make a show to welcome the rich while you keep the poor in the corner. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and, and that's regardless of who they are or what they look like or how they dress or how much they have. And don't be afraid to associate with lowly things. That's the other part of this. Don't think that there are jobs beneath you. Don't be wise in your own sight, it says. Don't think too highly of yourself. Even if you're smarter than someone else, even if you know you're richer, even if you're faster than the next guy, don't dwell on it and don't talk about it. Recognize that every gift you have, no matter what it is, is a blessing. And it's a blessing to be used for God's glory. It's good to remind our children, children that, that there will always be somebody faster and smarter than them. And even if you're the fastest or the smartest person in the room, it doesn't mean you have to talk about it. So don't think there are people beneath you and don't think that there are things beneath you, jobs or things that are beneath you. So what does this have to do with living in harmony? Well, the haughty person thinks that they are better than others. It's often the haughty who places unrealistic expectations upon others. The haughty person thinks that others are the problem instead of considering their own heart and their own desire and how these desires may be honoring to God or not. May God grant us grace to be a people marked by humility, knowing that, that, we, that everything we have is a gift of grace. And we, too, are challenged in our relationships. And, and we should realize the problem is not always over there or with them. Often the problem is here with us. Secondly, we need to consider that harmony brings glory to God. We see that in chapter 15, particularly in verses 5 and 6, which say, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 6, the Greek word that is there, that, that the ESV translates that, is often translated so that, and I think it's, it's very acceptable for if we were to say 
that so that you may, may God help you to live in harmony with one another so that you may glorify God. In other words, living in harmony brings glory to God. Psalm 133, and I love how, how we, that is a tradition at the General Assembly that we always sing Psalm 133, which is, a, which is the psalm that, that tells us about how blessed it is when brethren live in, um, in unity. Let me turn to that. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down to the, on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And here we have in this, in this short psalm uh, uh, two pictures of things that, that God says are blessed. Now these are similes that, that, that we don't really get. When we think of oil running down on your head and, and on a beard and, and dripping off the beard onto the clothes, we probably think, man, what, how is that a, a blessed thing? Well, think about what it is. Aaron was the high priest. This is, this is pointing to his consecration. This is pointing to him being installed as the high priest of the people of God. He was the one that represented God to the people and the people to God. And this... This anointing that is pictured here was a blessed event and really the high point in his career as a high priest. So when we see this, we must think of blessedness. We must think of, of, of God working through his, in his people through this man that he has installed as the high priest. And the other simile is that of the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. We won't go into all the meanings of that. But it, is, again, points to the blessing that, that is upon God's people. And so what is he saying? He's saying unity among God's people is a beautiful and a blessed thing. And here's two pictures that help us see that in the Old Testament. So we know that unity brings glory to God. Unity is also reflected in the way that Jesus lived. He is the ultimate example of humility. He did not please himself. Verse um, 3 in, verse, in chapter 15 said, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He came to serve others, Matthew, or Mark 10.45 tells us. He, he sought the good of others. And 15, chapter 15, verse 2, tells us that we too should seek to please our neighbor for their good and for their edification. Let me ask you this evening, do you seek the good of your neighbor? Do you seek the good of those around you, both within the church and outside the church? And especially for those people that you struggle in your relationships, do you seek their good? We'll talk more about that as we look at some practical applications. Do you pray for them? Do you think about what they need for their spiritual growth and edification? Or do you just think, I just wish they would go away. That's not what we're called to do, dear saints of God. We're called to love one another. We're called to love our neighbor, even those neighbors who are weaker than us. We are all part of God's family and notice how this chapter begins. It, it begins with a high standard that we're to bear with the failings of the weak in verse 1. We're not to please ourselves. 
And we can't excuse our own behavior based upon a weaker brother or sister's failure to, to do something or to, because of their spiritual immaturity. We are to bear with them. We are to reflect God's goodness and grace as we pursue others as Christ has pursued us. We are to love in a humble, sacrificial way. The King James in, in uh, Romans, back thinking about Romans 12, 16, where it says, the ESV translates it to, to be um, in harmony with one another. The King James says, be of the same mind one toward another. Now that doesn't mean we're all identical. That doesn't mean we all think the same way about everything. But as believers, we should have the same goal. We should have the goal of glorifying God. We should have the goal of, of having our lives be a reflection of the grace that we have been shown in Christ. Now, when you hear that word, I know some of you are, 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 are very musically inclined. And when you hear the word harmony, you think of music. And the various parts of, of in, you know, when, whether it's a quartet or a, or a choir. In my, in my freshman year of college... I, I went to a Christian college that had a strong music department, and they had a, an opportunity that was open to all. It was, it was a choir you didn't have to audition for. And I had a buddy that, that was there, and, and he and I were just kind of both country bumpkins from, from Kansas. And we said, hey, if there's no audition, we'll get in. So we did. And this particular choir um, did much to teach you to sing. And it was an oratorio choir, and they were doing Handel's Messiah in the spring. And so we jumped in, and they just started from the top. And, and I could sort of kind of read music. And he and I just kind of kept looking over at each other and, and thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? And so he bailed a couple weeks into it, but I stuck it out because I, I began to enjoy it. And I was beginning to learn little bits here and there. And I began to realize that, that all of these parts, and it's not just four parts, it's often, you know, there's often two soprano parts or two alto parts, and, and all of these parts came together to make this beautiful unified whole. And, it, and, and the way, if you listen to that, I listened to some of it as I was driving here this afternoon, if you listen to that, it, it, it helps you understand the scriptures that they're singing. And, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and so I think that's the harmony that we're thinking about as believers in Christ. If you look around, we're all different. Men, women, various ages, various ethnicities here at Christ Church. And God has blessed us with a very diverse congregation. What a blessing that is. And we, we are not all the same. Yet we have the same goal. Yet we are on the same team. We are, we are seeking to glorify Christ. We are seeking to glorify God in all that we do and say. That's what scripture calls us to. So as believers, as part of God's family, we should do that. And we all have a part to play. We all have a part to sing, if you will, in this, in this beautiful choir that, that is being built. So be of one mind in the sense that we have one goal, and that is for God's glory. So we've considered that harmony is born out of humility. I had to look, look for my outline here. Harmony in the church brings glory to God. And thirdly, strength, the strength and ability for harmony comes from God. 
we are not always easy to get along with. And we need the work of the Spirit. And, and that's what I want us to know is that, is that, is that we, we cannot do this in our own strength. And, and, and an illustration of that, a beautiful illustration of that is from Philippians 4. When Paul is giving his, his closing comments of, of that epistle, and Philippians 4, 2, and 3, he, he talks about these two women. Let me just read it real quick if I can find it quickly. Philippians 4, 2, and 3. Um, I never can find things when I'm on the spot here. Okay. Um, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Here were two sisters in Christ, people who worked with the Apostle Paul, that there was some kind of disagreement with them. Now we think, okay, they traveled with Paul. Surely they were on the same team. Well, yes, but there were some issues between them. And he was saying, help these sisters get along. Help them in this disagreement. Their names were written in the book of life. They were sisters in Christ. And yet something had come between them. And I just want to say to us, brothers and sisters, grudges have no place in the Christian church. We are called to love one another fervently. And if you keep a pot on the stove of your mind and your heart, a pot of envy and jealousy and frustration and anger towards others, some people have been stirring that pot for years. If you're keeping that on your stove, then throw it out. That is a sad contradiction of the Christian faith. We are not to hold grudges between us. And I know that's easier said than done. I know that that can be hard, but we have to realize that, that we don't do this in ourselves. We don't do this just by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We do it in dependence upon the Lord. Romans 12, 18 tells us, as, as we read, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all in other words, there's, there's going to be times where it's going to be hard. We're going to, have, we're going to struggle in our relationship. But make sure that you are doing everything that you can to bring reconciliation, to bring peace, to show love. Pray with Augustine who said, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. In other words, Lord, I know you call me to this. I know you call me to live in harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm struggling. I need your help. I need your spirit. Give me words. Give me, give me actions. Help me to know how to show the love of Christ to this individual. Sometimes it's, it's just simply hard. But the difficulty of the command does not negate the authority of the command. Did you hear me? The difficulty of the command does not negate the authority of the command from Scripture. We can only do it with Christ's strength. I love Colossians 1.29, which says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, the energy that he powerfully works within me. And we're working hard, but we know it's, it's the energy of the Spirit that works in us that gives us the ability and the power to do these things. It is granted by God. Verse 5 of, and now we're back in, we're just jumping everywhere here. Back in Romans 15, verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. So, so he's praying that God would grant them to the grace 
to do this. And we need that grace granted to us to give us the power to do it. Notice also it says in verse 5 that he's the God of endurance. He's the God that keeps us pushing on. He's the God that, that, that keeps us going when we want to quit. But it's not only the God of endurance. It's not like we just grit our teeth and grind it out. He's also the God of encouragement. He gives us grace. He, he, he gives us his word to lift us up. He, he is with us as we do this. He is the God of endurance and encouragement and the God of grace. And finally, we, we move now to point four in the sermon. And that is practical advice for living in harmony. Now... I don't pretend to be an authority here, but I, I do trust that as we have considered these principles and thought about what it means to live in harmony, how that we must be humble, and, and how that it glorifies God, how this is a command that we're called to, so how do we do it? Well, these, these thoughts may be somewhat random, but, but I hope they are helpful. I, I think in our circles, um, Presbyterians love order, they, they love the church, they love church government, um, and sometimes they love discipline. And sometimes I think some people are, are quick to pursue discipline. And Matthew 18 gives us guidelines of how we are to, to pursue reconciliation. Um, it gives us the steps thereof, and, and those lead to, um, they, you know, they start initially. We won't read that text, but they start initially but with, between brother, and sister, brother or sister in Christ, and then lead um, with increasing um, accountability and intensity, I might say, to uh, formal church discipline. But not every situation between brothers and sisters in Christ where there is a struggle for harmony, merits a Matthew 18 pursuit, if you will. Remember that 1 Peter 4.8 4, 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So, what we need to consider is, as we go along with people that are sometimes difficult, we need to ask ourselves... Do I need to just cover this with love? Do I need to step over this, these words that were kind of hurtful? Do I need to just show them grace? Because knowing that, that you have been shown grace, I have been shown grace. So there are times, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not here to tease this all out. I'm just kind of laying this out as a principle for us. There are times when we do need to pursue Matthew 18. There are times where we need to go to our brother and, and challenge them or, or let them know that there has been an offense or a hurt. But there's also times when we just need to say, I'm stepping over this. This is not that big a deal. I'm going to show grace and I'm going to show love because I know that I have been shown grace in Christ and many others have shown grace in my relationships with them. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Secondly... We need, and again, this is very closely related to this concept of humility, but we need to be willing to admit our own faults, our weaknesses, and our failings. We are a people that need help. We need help in this Christian life. We need each other to come alongside and encourage us and build us up. And we need to be willing to help others along the way as well. So in light of that, let me just 
encourage you with this, that if you are struggling with divisive words, if, if you're struggling in, in being tempted to say certain things to certain people, it's probably because you're not dealing with your thought life properly. You may be trying to keep the lid on a simmering pot, like we said, of frustration with someone or, or long-held hurts or an old grudge or some ill feelings, and, and you're really only stoking the fires of resentment and bitterness. And so what you need to do if you're struggling with being tempted to say cross words or angry words or unkind words is consider your own heart. Consider what's going on there. What are you keeping there that is stoking those fires that make you want to say things that are unkind? We should also consider the other person. We touched on this earlier. Do you really know that person that you're struggling in a relationship with? Do you know them? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know what their fears are? Do you know really where they are with Christ? Do you know where they are in their spiritual journey? Do you pray for them? Do you seek their good? Scripture tells us that we are to seek the good of others. And then, and this is hard, but this is, I think, what God is calling us to, we should move towards that person. See, our tendency is, is to run away and, and hide or just avoid. But it's when we move towards them that we can know them. It's when we move toward that person that we can get to know their needs and their fears and their, their anxieties and, and their immaturity and their, their, the things that, the, the ways in which they need to grow. And it doesn't mean you can fix all their problems, but you can pray for them and you can encourage them. And another thing you need to do, and again, sometimes this is hard, is look for the good in them. Okay? Look for the good in others even and especially those people that you struggle in your relationships with. And, and speak about the good. Say things like, I can see the Lord working in this, in this area. Or what a blessing it is that, that God has given you faith to trust him in this, in this situation. Or, or do you see how God has answered prayer for you in this? And encourage them by pointing to the good in their life. And again, that's not always easy to see but we should look for the good in others. We must remember that we are all sinners saved by grace. We also must remember that we're going to spend eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And really, we want to be able to live in harmony with them here. And we should keep our eyes on Christ in all of this. And remember that time is short. Jesus is returning right after the Apostle Paul speaks of these two women who were struggling in their relationship. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Time is short. We don't know how many more days we have on this earth to make these relationships right. God is, Christ is coming. The Lord is at hand. Finally, I want to close with an illustration that I read. Some of you will remember the advice column, Ann Landers. And someone wrote in to Ann Landers back in the days, in the good old days when we had newspapers. And they wrote and they said, my two grown boys 
who are around 30, my, these, these two grown boys fight so much it's impossible to have them at family parties. They don't get along with her sister. She barely speaks to them. It's barely worth all the hate that's generated. Do you have any suggestions? And Ann Lander says, these stubborn fools will probably stay mad until there's a death in the family. Wait until someone dies. Now, that's the advice of the world. And, and when I stood before you a few weeks ago speaking about love, I, I gave you an illustration from my own family where sometimes the death in the family and settling in a state is one of the worst times of people not getting along. But the advice the world gives is, well, just hope that something happens and it'll get better. But that doesn't necessarily work. Hoping for the best is not always the best option. She's hoping that these foolish men will be softened to love one another and love others as they should. But in the family of God, there's already been a death. Christ has died for our reconciliation. We who have offended God by our sin, we who were far off have been brought nigh. We who are in Christ have been reconciled to God. When we were enemies of God, Christ's death provided a way that we could be brought near that we could be reconciled to him. So I leave you with this question. Will you reflect the love and grace that you have been shown and live in harmony one with another? Let us pray.